part of the success at, at Nubox is, you know, the ability to always be innovating, always be responding to what your customers are asking for and never lose that, that startup DNA. Hello and welcome to the Gross Profit Podcast. I am your host, James Kennedy, CEO at ProcurementExpress.com, where we help hundreds of companies to safely spend billions of dollars each year. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Gross Profit Podcast. This week, I am privileged to be joined by Matt Cole. Matt is the founder of Suma SaaS, a leading provider of financial management software as a service for small businesses in the Spanish-speaking Latin American market. Matt is also a customer, which is great. And um, Matt, I'll let you into a secret. I am terrible at LinkedIn, and I hardly get any ever get any value from it. But our interaction in, in LinkedIn is probably one of the top three I've ever had. I know I'm obviously doing it wrong, but it was very nice <laughs> to connect on LinkedIn. And, uh, and we're going to chat today about his story um, coming to Chile, where he's based, um, and uh, his very successful scale-up business now. So, Matt, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you, James. It's a pleasure to be here and connected literally from the other side of the world. Yeah. You know what? I originally had written, you don't sound like you have a Chilean accent, but I think you may have somewhat picked up a bit of a Chilean twang. Would you say that's fair? You've been there a while, obviously. Yeah. You know, I first uh, came to Chile in 1994 uh, and then came back to Chile in 2012 and have been here for the last uh, eight years. So much of this great country is rubbing off on me. I honestly couldn't tell you're totally American because a lot of people have very high standard of, e- of English there that I've met, certainly, and they, they have that sort of blended tone. So you're blending right in, obviously. Thank you. What brought you to Chile in the first place and what brought you back? Um, well, I first had the great fortune to, to um, come to Chile in 1994 with JP Morgan and worked uh, as an analyst uh, slash indentured servant for a couple of years. And then uh, got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug, uh, and I've been essentially working as an entrepreneur and an angel investor uh, since the mid-90s, and then came back to uh, Chile in 2012 uh, together with Riverwood Capital. And then in 2015, we together started Suma SaaS, um, which is a platform which operates a new box in Chile, which is the leading provider of, of small, small business soft, accounting software in the cloud. And for our people in the English-speaking um, world, the closest equivalent would be what? What sort of software would we know that is equivalent? So uh, Suma uh, operates today in three countries, in, in Chile, in Argentina, and in Mexico. Our, our closest comparable would be QuickBooks Online or Azero.com. And together with the, we really view those companies as, as role models, as, as, as leaders in the field. Um, but we have a lot of things in common in terms of uh, an integration of electronic invoicing, accounting, uh, registration of business events, uh, payroll solutions, uh, all of them in the cloud, which permit the collaboration between small business owners and the accountants that serve them. Because hmm. there's a lot of particulars. I, I spent a couple of years in Chile, and I was always actually kind of impressed by, I remember that the the revenue service there provided kind of an invoicing service for PMEs, were they, SMBs? Um, and if you're there, they actually collect, is, am I right in saying they actually collect the sales tax for you while you're invoicing if you're a certain size of company? So it's obviously very different to what happens elsewhere in the world. Right. Well, I mean, the, the local IRS or revenue uh, agency, which is called the Servicio Impuestos Internos, has been a leader in, in Latin America in terms of uh, transparency, providing digital platforms 
and working with to on uh, initiatives related to to digitalization and, and financial inclusion. A part of that comes along with the obligation to use the uh, electronic invoicing service, which you can either do directly via uh, the platform of the revenue service or via providers like like Newbox. And then each bill is is issued with or without the corresponding value-added tax, depending on who is the the counterpart. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's a very early example of how software is kind of eating financial services. Uh, you have this trend with companies like Revolut and others so on. But I think Chile was way ahead of the curve. I don't know of any other country that did something. And I still talk about it to this day. I was there like 10 years ago. So did that give you an advantage in, I believe you acquired Newbox? Does that give you an advantage in that market is already sort of more ahead of, let's say, the other countries in the world, let's face it? Yeah, are people adopting cloud accounting faster? Yeah, it's been a process of evolution. I think, you know, in, in many ways, you know, this has been a virtuous circle of or cycle of the government uh, entities really promoting uh, digitalization of small businesses, providing very easy tools um, for companies like Newbox to integrate into their platforms. And 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 some of us uh, pioneers in this um you know, being able to demonstrate to small business owners that in addition to any obligations to um, utilize electronic invoicing, there are many benefits uh, to do it as well in terms of the increased transparency and control over your own business. Hmm. And because on a previous episode, um, I had uh, the founder of uh, Bullet HQ and who, who provides, you know, an accountancy software based here in Ireland. And he was finding it difficult to go through uh, accountants as a channel because, in a way, he was making, you know, putting them out of a job. In a way, how do you address that to be sure to be making it efficient, but not so efficient that you don't need to hire your local friendly accountant to to help you out with your submissions, etc. That's a great question. And in, in all the markets where we operate in in Mexico, in Chile, and in Argentina, we really view our accountants as allies and partners. However, their role and their uh, value add is also changing. And I think the most successful accounting firms are realizing that um, they have a lot more to offer as financial advisors than they do simply in preparing and keeping the books of their clients. And so, you know, our, our best partners are partners who really u- utilize our, our software and platforms in order to be much more efficient and much more productive with the preparation of the financial statements. And then uh, with that information, can provide advice, guidance, and and other services, um, which can help their clients become more successful with that information. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced both sides of it, like getting your accounts together at the last minute and just getting any sort of filing that won't get you thrown in jail. And then also being a little bit ahead of the curve. And it's far better if you're not just keeping the basics. If you have a couple of months to, you know, no, I'm sure my accountants, God help them, didn't enjoy it when I was trying to get things in the last moment. And, you know, I certainly didn't. And it's far more, far better if you're more organized and advanced, and then you can add, they can add more, way more value, probably, you know? No, that's absolutely correct. But, you know, like, like many entrepreneurs, um, you know, I think most of us have our head down focused on the business, talking to customers, improving the product, recruiting and hiring. And some of the issues around compliance can be a bit of a nuisance and get pushed off to the to the last minute or get pushed down. Though. I think where we've seen a really transformational experience among our clients is when they have a, a software application which can help them manage the day to day 
actually by importing business events, by integrating with data sources where they get immediate gratification, instant gratification out of having more visibility on the business. And that information then gets turned into the uh, tax filings and other information they need to to provide to regulators, to their board of directors, to whatever. And, and that that is an incredibly powerful combination. I agree with you 100%. And where where is this brought Newbox today? Where is it like how how long has it been around and and where has it come from and where is it now? Yeah, so we're actually Newbox is actually uh, celebrating um, its 20th anniversary, our 20th birthday party on April 1st. And um, you know we've come an incredibly long way uh, over the past 20 years. I've been fortunate enough to be a part of the the journey for the last five years. Right now we're focusing on on the next 20 years. But today, uh, Newbox in Chile. Uh, we have 90,000 small businesses on our platform. Wow. We process 500,000 payroll liquidations per month. Our clients are, are, are issuing almost 1 million electronic tax documents per month. And it, it has really become the de facto standard for cloud accounting, payroll, and electronic invoicing in Chile. Amazing. Another overnight success and only 20 years. And Overnight 20-year success. That's exactly right. It's nice to hear because, by, you know, we we run obviously we're a technology company too, and we our goal is to make a bulletproof company. But there's a feeling like other types of tech, well, you know, some tech businesses like I don't know what's the what's the one that came before Facebook, MySpace. MySpace, yeah, it's like come and gone, and these things are a fad. But now in this space, in financial space, you find actually plenty of examples of companies that have been around for you know twenty years plus. And it's nice because that's what I'd love to do. I'd love to be around in 20 years. You know, it doesn't have to be a MySpace, God help us. You know, you can build for the long-term value. You know, a lot of some of our competitors have been around for like 20 years as well. So I love that. It gives me help actually because I'm, you know, I don't know how your wife feels about it, but sometimes she wishes I get a proper job with long-term prospects. And uh, she, you know, it's nice to say, hey, you know, don't worry. We're going to, we'll be here in 20 years. I'll be here to pay the pension. Don't worry about it. Yeah, well. I'm not sure there are any bulletproof companies. I think you have to just keep moving, just stay ahead of the bullets, basically. And I think the best technologies, companies in the world are always improving, always innovating, always thinking ahead and and always challenged by startups that often are quicker, faster and 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 more agile. And I think um, you know part of the success at, at Newbox and, and and quite frankly, I've seen it at Procurement Express as well is, you know, the ability to to always be innovating, always be responding to what your customers are 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 asking for and um and and to be never lose that that startup dna i think that's really important as well well i mean that's i mean bringing on to sort of a little talk about product management for a bit I and mean, it's extremely challenging i don't know my experience has been you get you know dozens of really great ideas from customers every month and then you budget them out and say well how how what we do and we said well, we'll put them in with here with the 20 great ideas we got last month it's hard to pick out what you should do and what you should ignore because some of it, it's hard to say. Like, of you know, it's hard when you have hundreds of customers. How do you like, you can kind of guesstimate or kind of squint at it and look at it. And then you have to throw your gut feel in there as well to see what's going to work. And um, I remember definitely when we started off, I had one product manager, Arslan, and he said to me, James, you know, really, I should have a product management tool team of like five people. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, come on. Yeah, we 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 just code and get it done with. And now I realize it actually takes a whole team of people just to figure out what you should build. And the biggest mistake you can actually make is not building something, but building the wrong thing. You know, like that's the biggest the opportunity cost of what you miss out is the really hard thing to get to. 
So how have you how do you manage that? Do you have a, a product management team? How do you get the how do you filter? How do you come up with the vision? Do you come up with the vision of where you're going and off you go? Or how do you how do you decide what to do next? Well, James, I, you know, I'm a non-technical uh, founder and a non-technical person. So um, you know, we are we have an incredible uh, product team um, led by uh, Juan Oneto, who actually uh, is the founder of Colpi, the business that we acquired in Argentina. And Juan, for the last six months, has been running product for us regionally. And it's been tremendous because he brings both you know, years and years of experience of building software for small business owners and accountants, but also a very rigorous analytical model for how we analyze the the costs and opportunity costs of building and not building and you know there's always like a great chef there's always a little one last you know finger in the soup and tasting if it needs a little salt or not and and you know and one brings that 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 magic to be able to adjust the sauce and just at the right moment but with data and i think that is the key thing is is to use both when you're making decisions both your gut and your and your head so let's talk about uh, scaling a business to this, you know, very significant size. Looking back on it, what were the things you did right? And are there any things that you've learned that you would not do the second? I guess you do now with your ongoing investments. What have you learned about taking from a mid-sized company or a smaller company and scaling it up to, you know, the territory where you have hundreds of thousands of customers? Yeah, no, I think I have a PhD in lessons learned in Latin America, so um, <laughs> which I've earned over the past five years. But yeah, no, I think um, one of the consistent sort of dynamics that I see, and and I suffered it as well, and um, as an entrepreneur, and and I see it in other entrepreneurs who are who are managing fast-growing businesses, is is to underestimate the challenges and the changes that are required in order to to move from a startup to a scale-up, and. Um, you know, like it, like the old refrain, um, you know, what what got you here is not going to get you there. And I think, you know, what we've what we've learned or what I've learned, and, and I see it time and time and again in my, you know, I think that once you make a decision that you you want to scale, and or your customers are making a decision that they want you to scale, you know, you really have to to come up with a new playbook in terms of you know what your plan will be. Uh, what type of people you need in order to incorporate what what processes, what products even uh, you need, how you'll support those products. Um, and then, um, you know, there are different ways of scaling. Some companies are scaling geographically. Others are scaling by offering a, a broader suite of, of products. Some of them are are scaling within their existing customers, be it cross-sell, upsell. Others are out doing more hunting of new customers. And, and every playbook is slightly different, but what what is i think transversal is that the founder ceo needs to move um from being a player on the field to being a coach uh, on the sidelines and that's an incredibly different uh, difficult transition because your natural instinct is to get out there and and want to score goals and and you have to move um more to being you know a conductor rather than a and then a musician well, there's a lot of ego at play. I mean, I'm laughing here because I totally see this. You know, you want to be in the early days, you were the guy who got the first customer and a second one. And you were no one thought you could do it. You no, know, you did it. And then, you you know, and then after a while, it's easy to get disconnected from customers for a start. Like suddenly, as soon as there's anyone between you and the customer, you feel suddenly, you know, you feel at sea. And I find it super hard. Like I'm back in, I'm doing sales. I've got a sales call directly after this. Like I feel like I don't, it's really hard. It's extremely hard because 
you look back at what was successful and what was successful is just working your tail off, <laughs> doing whatever people needed and doing that, you know, and, and it's really hard to, in fairness, you have to, A, you have to maybe accept your limitations. You know, you know what, maybe you were lucky, maybe you weren't that good, but maybe you can definitely get someone better. And then you have to trust like people like to actually let go of the rain. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, no, it, 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 we were just talk, talking about it yesterday with one of my colleagues. You know, when, when you look at a, at a sporting event, you know, usually the players on the field are not stressed out. It's the coach on the sidelines who is the most stressed out, right? Because the players are doing what, you know, they're running after the ball, they're making the passes, they're, you know, they're executing what, what they, you know, what they know how to do. And, you know, we, you've always got the best players in every, on the, but, but it's the coach who, you know, is the one who's stressed because, and I think that really um, resonates with, with the, with the evolution from, you know, from, from founder captain on the field to, to coach. Um, and in the end, it comes down to how well you prepared your team and how, how much you trust them. Right. But you can't run down every ball and, you know, you can't make every goal and you can't be on every customer call. And, and in the end, um, you've got to live with that and you've got to prepare your people to be able to close, you know, uh, new accounts without you having to be on the call and your, your product team to make decisions on on product roadmap without you being in the room and and your customer service team to be able to resolve tickets without you know you getting involved and um you know that that's a big leap of faith for many founders so that's the founder what about the team members have you team members that have managed to scale with you through the many different evolutions and what makes them successful when maybe others haven't been able to do that yeah, that, that's a great question. And yes, we have, you know, I think there's a, a common element for anyone who who has a growth mindset and wants to learn new things. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot at with our team, in fact, we spend, a, a you know, time on it every single Monday meeting is is the failures and lesson learned from the prior week. We spend more time on that than we do celebrating the victories. But I think being able to recognize, you know, what works and what doesn't work, uh, to be able to take ownership of that and to make your problems old, to, you know, to own them, to learn from them and don't repeat them, to be able to understand that failing is part of learning and to always, I think, be looking to, to examples in the market of best practices that, that you can incorporate. Um, there are very few of us that can do that. And in fact, um, you know, my ego gets in the way still. I love to blame other uh, external factors for that, uh, you know, some of the things that I've done wrong. I don't listen. Everything has to be my idea. You know, I have many of the, all of the traits of, of but I've, I'm learning. I'm learning to work on that. And pain plus reflection equals progress. So we've had a lot of pain as we've growing pains and reflecting upon those, uh, you know, I've been able to progress. I think individuals who, who, who cannot do those things um, in the end get a bit trapped. And, um, you know, there are different roles for them, you know, in other organizations. But, you know, as we grow, you know, we always have to be growing faster than the organization we're running or we're leading. And then, James, I think, you know, there's a role for incorporating new talent. Um, and that can be um, incredibly exhilarating to bring in people who've done it before, who, who in many cases not only can do their job better than I could, but probably could do my job better than I could. And that takes also to put the ego aside. There's some tough decisions we've had to make. And, you know, that's also part of being a CEO. You have to be thinking about, you know, what's in the best interest of the company and not what's in the best interest of your personal relationship. And uh, I think I've learned from that, that uh, that is the role of, of a leader is to make those decisions based on where you need to get uh, and making sure the entire team can complete the mission. Uh, and then finally, 
you know, I, I think there's there's something about uh, scaling which you know brings out the best in in individuals that 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 really want to make an impact on on the world. Um, and so, you know, we've sat down and re rewrote our corporate purpose uh, back in November as part of an OKR exercise. And it was just tremendously inspirational to see how the team connected with that overall purpose and were willing to sacrifice their own egos in order to to reach a common goal. Uh, and do you, do you publicly share your corporate purpose? Yeah, no, we, we do. You know, we, we sat down and really thought about why we're operating, what is our purpose? And we realized that we, we're all in this because we want to promote the economic development of Latin America via the success of its small businesses. Um, and once we once we aligned on that, and it, it took three hours of arguing with lots of coffee and 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 donuts and sounds like hell. Yeah, but but once we did that, everything else just clicked into place, and and people were able to put their own personal interests of their area and their ego aside and focus on on this larger purpose. Yeah, I totally resonate with that because there on the on a on one level you could have that you kind of ownership of the business and they can be the owners and the people are the workers and that the job is to make the owners rich right but who wants that no one like a if that's the intent or is anyone going to get rich probably not <laughs> because why, what's the point in that you know and actually you have to look for a higher purpose that everyone can get behind and say yeah this will be this would be cool. This would be worthwhile. And you know what? The side effect of achieving that will be everything we need, you know? So it's just seek to give first, the cliche, I guess, but like, if, you know, you give first and then don't worry about it. Good things will happen. And I think they do, you know? And most of all, providing that cohesion in the team just makes your daily life so much better, you know? Like, I love that purpose. It's really fantastic. I might apply for a job myself someday. Like the, uh, you know, just because like that's that thing of, because I love small businesses, mid businesses. I've been there myself. I am there myself. And, you know, that's a really, I wouldn't say they're underrepresented, but I mean, my, my experience at Chile was through Startup Chile, which is an amazing program they have for people starting new businesses. Actually, there's a lot of supports for SMBs in, in Chile. You know, when you produce 90% of the world's copper, it doesn't really matter what you do after that. That was the joke that was in town at, at the time, but they really invest in in their economy you know, not just relying on that. And that, that's a cool. So that brings us on to Suma SaaS, which is an investment vehicle for, for acquiring and, and doing roll-ups of similar companies to Newbox. Is that it? Suma has really evolved over time. Uh, today, we are operating uh, much more as a cohesive business, looking to cross-pollinate uh, best practices, um, achieve economies of scale, and and work in a more coordinated manner among the countries where we currently operate. There are many of us who have, who wear double sombrero, two hats at both, you know, the operating company level. Uh, so for example, I run the business um, in Chile as well as the Suma level. And um, what we're really trying to do is bring out this, what we call global DNA, which is a combination of global DNA and hyper-local realities in, in each of our markets and and building this sort of double helix culture of of the best of of the world together with the best of, of each country where we operate. Yeah. Okay. So th that's very interesting because m amongst my peers here in Dublin who are running the COVID crisis has transformed a way to look at business. A lot of them have radically changed their business to maybe they have to pivot totally, do something else. Suddenly they're re-emerging and they're saying, hold on, why am I just looking at the Irish market anymore? 
or European market or, and on both sides for acquiring customers, but also for acquiring talent. And a big thing that we have experienced is, you know, the amazing talent that exists, but somehow maybe doesn't know how amazing they are in different parts of the world. You always tend to imagine that in Silicon Valley, everyone walks around six feet off the ground, but but just realizing that, and that's a very exciting time now we're going into, I, I think the next 12 months is going to be amazing for SMBs. You're going to see some amazing companies created as they suddenly realize, you know what, I can, I've been great at selling here in, in Santiago or Dublin, but next stop, it could be anywhere. And it's, it's going to represent challenges as well, because suddenly, you know, you've got to compete with Newbox and you've got to compete with everyone around the world. And it suddenly it's not just you know, the best guy in your town that you can work with, but it's the best guy in your, or girl in your, in the world you can work with. So it's going to be very exciting, challenging. And for people to take advantage, it's going to be transformative. So what's the difference? So when you're looking for, so you, you started off with Newbox with Suma SaaS, and then you acquired a couple of other businesses as well. How did you go about finding them and what, what made them good fits? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So um, back when I used to travel for business, um, I personally met with, you know, the top SaaS entrepreneurs in Spanish-speaking Latin America who were focused on small business solutions. And these were uh, trips to Mexico, Colombia, Peru, talking to SaaS entrepreneurs here in in Chile and and as well as Argentina, and even a few meetings in in Spain with an invitation, with an invitation to join uh, Suma SaaS as we build a roundtable of the best SaaS entrepreneurs focused on small businesses in Latin America and to help these companies scale up. Um, We feel like our secret sauce at Suma is to help uh, entrepreneurs reach their dreams, uh, achieve our our objective, which is to empower 1 million small businesses in Latin America. I realized we couldn't do it alone at Nubox. I think other uh, like-minded entrepreneurs uh, like Juan Oneto at Colpi in Argentina realized he could not do it alone. And then uh, last month, we announced the incorporation of Bind ERP in Mexico, the leading small business SaaS player in Mexico, uh, in, into the Suma family. So now we have the three legs of the stool. It, was, it started with chemistry and culture and a couple of South American barbecues in my backyard, actually, uh, the relationship with, with Bind. Uh, they came to visit us in Chile in February of 2020. And so a year later, over many Zoom calls, you know, we were able, able to to, to close and announce the deal. And we're learning just as much from the newly acquired companies, I think, or, or more maybe uh, than they're le- le- uh, learning from us. And so, you know, that's why we really do call this a scale up because together we believe we can scale faster than if we were doing it individually. Yeah. It's still incredibly fragmented in all markets, in the SMB market. It's almost every customer feels like that. We, you know, I joke we have like 300 customers and they do business in 400 different ways with about 500 different accounting systems somehow. And it's the Wild West a little bit, I think, because there's amazingly, you look at any market, look at South Africa, you have CISPRO and you have, which is a local CRM there, which does amazing. Every market, Sage, I guess, is the master at this. They go around acquiring local players in different markets and sort of rolling them up. But then they have this challenge where, sure, they have the same brand, but they're not, you know, aligned so do you look for things which are complementary like would you you know are some of your products directly competing but in different not competing but the same thing in different markets and what can sustain that yeah no that, that's a great question um, you know as we think about how we roll out regionally you know we are uh, focused on first of all uh, incorporating cloud native 
SaaS businesses in, into our onto our platform um, that are focused on the small business segment, and then very much around uh, this marriage of uh, business management with with accounting. You know, there are different flavors of that. Obviously, every country has you know has its own regulatory environment and and own small business ecosystem, and and that's something that we realized uh, early on is there are very few examples of SMB software which has successfully crossed borders. Uh, without a high degree of customization. So when we think about how we wanted to expand, it was very much under this roundtable format of identifying and, and and building a relationship with the leading players in every country and then working on arrangement where together, um, you know, we would be more successful. And, you know, as we think about ways where we can converge, definitely around product strategy, product roadmap, definitely around the tech technology stack, uh, definitely around, you know, issues related to financial controls, information security. And we do have regional playbooks for go-to-market and customer areas, but but those are very local uh, in so many ways. And so we're also committed to being very close to our clients and where our clients are operating in every, in every single market as well. Okay, great. Well, given that we, at this stage in the podcast, we've only got the hardcore listeners left, I feel okay to add a somewhat, ask a somewhat self-serving question around your experience with, with Procurement Express and why did you select Procurement Express and what value is it giving for you as you scale Newbox? Yeah, no, what, what a great question. And um, I think we became clients of Procurement Express about two or three years ago. Unfortunately, I, James, I can't say I was involved in the decision, but uh it definitely validated it. And um, it's been a tremendous experience. I think it was a real example of how we progressed at Newbox from a startup to a scale up. I can remember uh, when in order to get any uh, bill approved for payment, somebody from the financial team used to literally walk around the floor and get rubber ink stamps from the different um, involved parties. Um, and then that document got stapled to you know, the actual factura and then I'm not sure we were writing checks, but we probably would, could have been when we were, were paying our suppliers. And it was an incredibly manual process fraught with all sorts of errors. If somebody was out of the office or on vacation, you know, we wouldn't pay our suppliers. Sometimes we paid our suppliers twice yeah. and was just, you know, there was a real lack of, of control and, and visibility. And when we implemented Procurement Express, all of that changed. I mean, we had, we loaded our budget into the, onto your platform. We assigned the, the costs and budget by, by area. We had a chain of, of approvals and everyone had much more visibility and, and it's been transformative for us, I think. And it was super easy to implement, uh, which was also uh, fantastic. We're still using it today. And, um, and I can see it tell you, you know, the product has really evolved. So congratulations on that. Um, uh, what, what the product was, uh, which was worked fine, but it was very sort of utilitarian. Um, has become much more sort of user friendly in terms of the UX UI and and all the other bells and whistles that you've added. I think have been, in my mind, um, very precisely and 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 strategically implemented. So you know, I get great value out of it. I actually was approving something uh, earlier today, so it's real really great to be here as a as a as a customer and as a fan as a fellow entrepreneur. It's lovely to have you and Christoph and and Mariska. Mariska in particular has been working very hard on the UI, so she'll she'll love to hear that. You know, she's done a lot of hard work. UI is interesting because it's not glamorous sometimes. You know, it takes a lot of attention to detail and a lot of, you know, pixel peeping. And she's done a particularly amazing job. We did a revamp recently, so 
shout out to to Mariska. I have to laugh when you laugh when you say stamps. I mean, I went when I was in Buenos Aires at one stage trying to get some visa or something. I got some advice from the Irish consulate, which was, you know, you just need to get as many stamps on your paper as possible. They love stamps in Latin America, and that was that was true. Like if you just go to a notary, you get things stamped. Suddenly the the waves, the, the sea opened, <laughs> everything was fine. You've got a stamp; it must be great. Okay, you're fine. So. That's hilarious. Okay, well, listen, I've really enjoyed chatting with you, Matt. And um, I have to say, it's been uh, really nice to to speak with you as a fellow entrepreneur and a customer. And congratulations on your five years at Newbox. How can people reach out to you if either as a potential customer or maybe someone is looking for partnerships? What's the best way to do that? Sure. So you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Matthew Call, uh, CEO of of Suma SaaS. You know, you can email me, which is matt.call at newbox.com. And then on Instagram, you can find me on the Commandante Malbec handle, but that's only to talk about wine. Okay, now you're talking. Now I'm interested. I am not a. I am on Instagram only recently. My my problem is watches. Someone showed me a watch recently, and now I'm, I'm okay. on, on watches. So maybe I'll add wine to that. If you bring me a watch, I'll give you to Chile. I'll bring. I'll give you a very nice bottle of wine. How about that? Okay, man. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming, and um, it was lovely talking to you. My pleasure, James. It's great to be here, and again, congrats on the success of Procurement Express. So. That wraps it up for another episode of the Gross Profit Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts.